Welcome, friends and family, fellow degenerates. It is so good to be back. Another Regulators podcast. I am your host, Waldo. Thank you very much for joining me. So much to talk about today. I'm jacked. I'm really excited for today's show because, you know, some of the shows during the offseason, they just kind of lag. And I'm not going to lie, between draft and preseason, there's going to be a few shows that are kind of shit. You know, we're going to try to get some great data together for you. We're going to share some thoughts on some important things. But, you know, we're going to need you to help us through it. And we're going to help you through it. Because uh, off-season is a long, long time. Um, It's about to be a week shorter during most years. But uh, we'll get into all of that. So, got a great show for you today. We're going to talk about all kinds of things, including the 17-game schedule. We're going to talk about the draft, some moves that happened since we were on the air last week. And uh, let's let's get right into uh, pro days. So a bunch of pro days have been happening uh, this week, and, and they're going to continue. Obviously, no combine happening this year in Indy, as per usual. And that's affected the NFL in, in many ways. First of all, pro days in general are, I mean, I'm just going to say it. They're somewhat of a joke, right? It allows for opportunities of certain players who maybe weren't invited to the combine, and it's great for, I think a lot of times when you see a star quarterback say, oh, he's not going to throw at the combine, but he's going to throw at his pro day with his guys and stuff like that. It does give the opportunity to other players to get recognized and and to get noticed. Um, But having said that, most of pro day, most of Pro Day, especially in a typical year, is a complete farce, and we don't really need it. There are important things that you're going to get, especially this year, it, Sands Combine. Um, you're going to get all your measurables. You're going to get your 40 time, and uh, I'm a sucker to see someone go through a shuttle cone drill and things like that. But where it really becomes a farce for me is when you see quarterbacks with no offensive line, with no running backs with no any anybody else except for like the quarterback and one wide receiver and that wide receiver has nobody covering them there's no defense there's no blitz checks that the quarterback has to make there's a it's literally catch it's literally playing catch and my problem with the pro day is you can only really make yourself look bad because if you're saying, well, you know, some of these guys, they go into their pro day and then they make these amazing, like, 70-yard downfield throws, okay, but go back and, and watch the tape. Did they make any of those throws during the game? If they did, then good, you've already seen that. You don't need to see it. If they're doing it, I mean, hell, Jamarcus Russell could throw 75 yards on his knee. Cool pro day story, bro, but how did that end up? Jamarcus Russell is literally the reason why there's rookie structures now into the draft contracts. So, pro days overall are just so asinine to me. And I'm sitting there watching this person throw against air, a wide receiver being covered by air. And it's like they put so much into it like they're doing an air guitar, like they really studied, you know, oh, I'm imagining that the DB is right here. I'm imagining the linebacker is right here. I got a roll to my left. But it's completely fucking scripted. It's completely, it's a production. And especially when you're a top talent, when you have uh, 
you, you know you're going to be a high pick in the draft. You have professional people who have run these drills, and they come in and they tell you, okay, we're going to do this, then we're going to do this, then we're going to move on to this drill, and, we're, and, and you script it out. There is nothing scripted during a live NFL game. You know, you might have scripted plays as far as, you know, what you're going to do on a certain drive, but you don't know which guy's going to come open. You don't know how these things are going to break. And so for me, the game tape is obviously the biggest indicator. And again, there are some measurables. There are some different things you can gain out of it. But overall, why are we watching these guys throw against air? And again, I feel like you can only hurt yourself because if you throw against air all day and you complete 98% of your passes, okay. But if you're throwing against air and you overthrow, you underthrow, and I'm not going to mention names, but there was a pro day, happened today, and uh, there, there were some passes that, that looked kind of ugly, um, then it only makes you look bad. It makes you look worse. Uh, having said that, uh, Justin Fields had a blazing 40 time today, and, and that seems to be the talk of the town. And uh, some other pro day developments. You know, one of the things I did mention, so as I alluded to, it does give opportunities for other players to shine and potentially get noticed. So Zach Wilson's pro day that he had, um, there was a wide receiver named um, Micah, I think it was Simon or, or Simon or something like that. Um, but he was a former Cougar who went undrafted last year. His pro day that he was supposed to have last year got canceled due to COVID when everything hit. So he went undrafted last year, but he was uh, part of the Zach Wilson Pro Day and got noticed and was actually just signed by the Carolina Panthers. So again, there is opportunity for other things, but let's take that at face value and put it for what it is. But this, the fact that I can hear these people clapping and just, you know, yeah, oh, great, great 30-yard out route to air with nobody rushing you. Like, come on. These guys are supposed to be top five talents in the NFL. They're supposed to be a franchise quarterback and we're applauding them for throwing a a 20-yard inseam, like, it's it just gets ridiculous out of hand. And then, you know, one cute thing I did see was uh, Mac Jones had his pro day, and his very last play of the, uh, the pro day, he did a triple option from, like, the two-yard line and caught a pass for a touchdown, and apparently that was a nod to Navy as Bill Belichick was in the building, and I was like... You know, is he trying to sell himself to Bill? Because I, I, I don't know if Bill's going to run that, but okay. Um, but, you know, it, it was fun. It, it's fine. But just like I think we put, and I get it. Listen, we've been in lockdown and we haven't had much to talk about. So any football-related news, we're going to jump all over. But I think, I just think we can do better personally. So let's talk about doing better. Let's talk about teams trying to improve. Since we last spoke... A major, major trade went down in the NFL. Obviously, the San Francisco 49ers, the Miami Dolphins, and the Philadelphia Eagles all got in and started uh, making moves to try to uh, put them in place to improve their teams this year. So if you've been living under a rock and you don't know what went down or you just need a recap, the Miami Dolphins traded the number three overall pick in the draft for the San Francisco 49ers' 12th pick in the draft, as well as two future first-rounders 
and an additional third rounder. Now, San Francisco moved up to number three, and the Dolphins temporarily moved back to 12. And then literally within minutes of that happening, uh, the Eagles, who were sitting at six, traded back with the Dolphins. So the Dolphins went from 12 to six, the Eagles dropped back to 12, and the Dolphins gave up their own first round pick from uh, the following year. So all said and done, the Dolphins end up moving from three to six, pick up an extra one and a three. Uh, the 49ers moved from 12 to three and gave up the multiple number ones. And the Eagles moved from six to 12 and picked up an extra one for themselves. So there's all kinds of thoughts that I have on this. Obviously, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that the 49ers aren't using three number ones to go up and grab a wide receiver or a tackle. This is a quarterback move. Now, they have come out publicly and are saying that Jimmy's not going anywhere. He's part of our plans. First thing we did when we made this move was make sure Jimmy understands he knows he's not going anywhere. Now, how much I buy is a different story of that. Um, I want to drop the Will Ferrell. I don't believe you. Um, there is a possibility that they keep Jimmy, but obviously Jimmy's not the long-term solution. Otherwise, you wouldn't be coming up to take a, a quarterback. Now, you might say, yeah, we're going to keep him around this year. We're going to let him kind of show the ropes to whoever the rookie is that we draft, and that's fine. But you can't act like, oh, Jimmy's our guy. No, no, he's, he's not going anywhere. He's definitely not going to be your guy in two, three years because if he was, you wouldn't make this move and you wouldn't leverage your future. So, doesn't mean the 49ers got it wrong. The 49ers have been a successful team. I think that a lot of people are discounting the loss of Robert Sala way too easily. I think uh, I'm interested to see how that defense shakes out under new leadership. But um, overall, the 49ers are not a terrible team. They had just horrific, horrific luck last year. And that was the second time in several years where just their entire team was decimated. So much like when they had a situation like that before and they ended up uh, getting Bosa, it, you know, it, it, it may work out for them in the end and we'll find them back uh, competing in the NFL for a while. So if they get it right, obviously it's it's a home run for them. Now the question becomes who are they taking at that spot? So a lot of people have said that, you know, Zach Wilson may be a done deal to the Jets, which means are they coming up for Justin Fields? Are they coming up for uh, Mac Jones? You know, that's that's really the question there. And as we get closer to the draft, we'll have J-Man on and He'll be talking about all the potential fits and, and why each quarterback might necessarily have a better experience under a different coach. But if you want to read, you can always check out everything he's written on the quarterback class so far. And you can go to uh, regulatorspod.com and just head over to the NFL section where all of our articles are. He's got his write-ups on the, uh, the quarterbacks, the tight ends. Uh, the running backs, and I believe today the uh, wide receivers dropped as well. So, you know, you can go and check all that stuff out, get yourself ready for the draft. Obviously, we know the top names, but if you want to do a little bit more 
uh, in-depth research and, and find out about some of those other guys, you can go check that stuff out. But, you know, the 49ers are obviously coming up for a quarterback. What are the Miami Dolphins doing at six? I think that the move here says that the Dolphins wanted to move back because they knew they could get some value out of something, and they obviously believe that quarterbacks are going to go one, two, three, and they don't have a need for a quarterback. Contrary to what public opinion may be or what some people may think, at least for right now, Tua Tungo-Vailoa is the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins, and they have no plans to change that in the immediate future. So, that means they need to get him weapons. The defense played very well last year, but the offense, obviously, we know did not play very well. So, Tua's going to need some weapons, and I think they felt that at 12, they're just a little bit out of reach out of those home run hitters. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, the draft ends after the top four pass catchers are off the board, but... When you have that much capital year after year and you're continuing to have multiple first-round picks, it's something that you have to hit on and you have to try to maximize the value of that. So a lot of people were talking about how this stemmed from the uh, the Laramie Tunsil trade that kind of started all this acquiring picks for the Miami Dolphins. And uh, I was on a Twitter live space with Antoine Staley and uh, Jason Sarney the other night. And I think it was Jason Sarney who suggested that uh, there should be a 30 for 30 done by uh, Aaron Sorkin with uh, Laramie Tunsil and how that whole situation uh, worked out. And um, Travis Wingfield had actually pointed out that this all actually began with the Byron Maxwell uh, Kiko Alonso trade in 2016. And so I went back and I tracked it all up and I did some kind of cross cancellation for things that went both ways. And at the end of the day, here's what the Miami Dolphins end up doing. They took a first round pick, two fourth rounders, a sixth rounder, and Kenny Stills. And they were able to trade that for four first rounders, a second round, a third rounder, and four players. I mean, that's that's a bang-up job right there. So they're acquiring the picks. Now, of course, you have to hit on them. So I think by Miami moving back up to six, then it really becomes, okay, now we're going to get a dynamic playmaker. There is still that chance that they could move back again. You know, they could move back to eight, and people might be saying, well, why would they go from three to 12 to six to back to eight? It depends on how the board falls. And let's say there's a quarterback sitting there and there's, you know, you've got Denver, you've got Carolina, you've got a couple teams right behind Miami that could be quarterback needy. Is there someone, if not one of those teams, that says, hey, we just want to bump up a couple slots and, uh, you know, take this spot off you? And then Miami knows that, all right, well, we've got three or four dynamic playmakers on the board. We're only going to drop back two spots, so we're still going to get our guy, plus maybe pick up that first round that we gave up to come from 12 to 6. I may have said that a little bit fast, but you get the general gist of it. So then you have the Eagles. The Eagles now have dropped from 6 back to 12, which says obviously they're not taking one of those high-caliber quarterbacks, which I didn't even know that was a discussion at any point. And they're saying that, oh, I guess this means Jalen Hurts is, is going to have a shot. And I'm like, why wouldn't he have a shot? You just fucking drafted him. I really don't understand this mindset. And it's the same thing with Tua Tungavailoa. 
The kid came off this horrific injury, and if he wasn't injured, he would have been the number one prospect. He would be a Cincinnati Bengal right now if it weren't for the injury. So having said that, I think this idea that all of a sudden after half a season or after one season, we're so quick to give up on a player that was just drafted and given the reins is just ridiculous to me. And I really blame Josh Rosen. Not so much Josh Rosen, the person, like it was his fault specifically, but I blame the Josh Rosen situation. When you see a top 15 quarterback that gets picked by Arizona and then a year later gets traded to Miami and then a year later he can't even get on a practice squad somewhere, that's very, very, very disturbing. Um, And I think it has really gaslit a lot of these people who just are so quick to give up on a quarterback like that. So I don't know where that comes from, but I think that it's still Jalen Hurts' job to lose at this point, um, unless obviously some ridiculous situation presents itself like a Russell Wilson or something really crazy. But outside of that, it is going to be Jalen Hurts. Um, I think that there's obviously a lot of holes for them to fill there, and where they go at 12 is is really kind of a, a tough call at this situation. I, I've talked with J-Man about it, and he's got some thoughts, which we'll share closer to the draft. But as of right now, the Eagles are at 12, and um, Jalen Hurts is going to be their quarterback. And, you know, it actually reminded me of last year with the whole, uh, I, I felt Josh Rosen and Jared Stidham, the truthers for both of those guys, like who was louder? We actually put a poll up on our, our Twitter page this week, and, and I'm waiting for the final results of that. But it's amazing just like how quick the public gets really, really high on you, like the Josh Rosen, the Jared Stidham, and then how quick they just completely walk away from you. Everything is what have you done for me lately and meaning today, yesterday, and the last five minutes. So very, very interesting. Um, wanted to talk about a couple of other free agency moves that got made. Um, T.Y. Hilton, I think, signed an amazing deal. He needs to give his agent uh, a high five and, and break him off a little something something. Um, you literally got Juju coming back to Pittsburgh for T.Y. Hilton money. And I know Juju didn't have the year last year that, you know, we know Juju is capable of. Um, but, I mean, T.Y. Hilton, like anybody who plays fantasy football can tell you that T.Y. is not T.Y. of old. And uh, I don't know how well that's going to work out. I wish him well. Obviously, I wish ill on no man. Um, but I think that T.Y. got a very, very healthy paycheck, very healthy payday, and um, Mercedes Lewis as well. I, I legit forgot he was in the league for like five minutes, and then I saw that he got more money than Philip Lindsay, who was stolen by Houston. Like, that that was just pure robbery. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting watching this draft because a lot of teams have different needs, and a lot of teams have uh, situations that they're trying to make calculated moves But I think that as the draft falls, we always see runs at a certain position. You always see, okay, here comes the linebackers, here comes the cornerbacks, so you know some of them are going to start to pop. But I think what's interesting is teams that have 
multiple picks in the first or second rounds are going to start to tip their hat a little bit. I think you're going to be able to see what they're doing in the next few rounds based on what they do early, and it's going to kind of start shaping up as it, as it goes forward. So I'll give you an example. If the Miami Dolphins take Kyle Pitts at 6, which a lot of people are pounding the table for, and it's a good pick. I mean, there's several players you could take. No one's going to be upset with the Dolphins with whoever they take at 6, if they stay at 6. Whatever they take, it's going to be an amazing player that's, that's going to uh, be great for their team. But if the Miami Dolphins take Pitts at 6, then I guarantee you the running back is coming. I guarantee you. Because you look at what they would be doing in that situation. Okay, you still have Mike Gesicki, which hopefully they're going to extend and he's going to be around for a long time. But in that case, when you have dynamic playmakers like that, with the exceptions of, of lining one or not both of them out wide or, or doing something crazy, in general, you're going to run a lot of 12 personnel. So for those of you who don't know what 12 personnel is, is it's one running back and two tight ends. So you're going to have a lot of double tight ends on the field. Now, if you look at the teams last year that ran 12 personnel more than anybody else in the league, that was the Tennessee Titans, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Arizona Cardinals. Do you notice any resemblance between those three teams? What do they do extremely well? They run the ball. And then you've got 22 personnel, which is two running backs, two tight ends. And guess who ran that more than anybody else in the league? The Baltimore Ravens. What do you notice about those teams? They run the ball. Because the whole idea of 12 or 22 personnel is you're trying to create mismatches, right? So if you've got two giant tight ends in there that can kind of stretch the field and all of a sudden, you know, they send in a bunch of linebackers because they're worried about the run, then you hit them over the top, you pass the ball. But if they come in light and they've got a bunch of DBs because they have to cover your tight ends who are fast and twitchy and they can get outside and get their hands on the ball, well, then that means you run the ball down their throat. But that only works. That only works if you can effectively move that line of scrimmage and you can push the ball through the run game. So I'm telling you, if the Dolphins make a move at six for Pitts, the running back is coming. And I, I hate that I'm falling into the prototypical, you know, what everybody else is saying, oh, grab these players. You know, of course, you know, yeah, that sounds nice. But Najee Harris would be the epitome of of what you would want to match in that 12 and 22 personnel situation um after that they would definitely look for a bruiser um but i think that will be very telling with who the dolphins pick there at six if they do indeed uh, stay with that pick now speaking of the draft you know some funny things uh Sometimes you catch something, and uh, we can't take credit for this, but I, I wish I had the handle of, of the guy who noticed this or gal who noticed this. But um, the Jaguars had a contest that they're doing where you can meet the 2021 draft pick that the Jaguars uh, make in this upcoming draft. And they had a graphic that they created 
with, oh, come meet the draft pick of 2021. And the graphic was an outline of a quarterback throwing the ball with the number one on his jersey, or so it seemed. But then someone found the exact picture of Trevor Lawrence that they basically traced it from and showed them side by side, and it's literally Trevor Lawrence. And that's either insane genius on the Jaguars part because they're just trolling everybody else or it's really dumb that you thought that the internet uh, wouldn't find it so you got to be a little bit slicker than that um, so I thought that was funny um, another thing that you know happened this week is the Bills Stadium which I I'm sorry for Bills fans that it's still the same stadium because if anybody deserves a brand new stadium right now if anybody deserves it it's the Buffalo Bills. We've talked about it in previous shows. They need a new friggin' stadium. Please get these guys a stadium that they deserve. Um, but having said that, for now, the current stadium has been uh, renamed. The rights have been sold to Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield of Western New York. So, it'll be a lot of fun to uh, watch the games at Hibikaba Um you know, has a nice ring to it. I think that people will probably end up calling it the Mark or High Mark or something like that, which I'm sure Blue Cross will hate. But nobody's going to be like, hey, you going down to the High Mark BCBS stadium like that? No one's going to do that. I remember when I worked for the Dolphins uh, for years and then Hard Rock acquired the naming rights to the Dolphins stadium. And when we were doing uh, different publicity, doing things on the mic and stuff, we were admonished a few times because we would say, The Rock, welcome to The Rock. You know, we thought it was a cool nickname, but they were like, uh, Hard Rock paid a lot of money to have you call it Hard Rock. So call it Hard Rock. It's not The Rock. Don't call it that. I was like, okay, understand. No problem. Um, but Bill's new stadium name, The Mark. Hi, Mark, Bicka Bicka Sounie, uh, whatever you want to call it, a uh, new stadium name for them. So one of the things that we usually try to do on this show is get to some listener questions. Some weeks, I swear we have 20 of these questions, and probably half of them come from one person, and other weeks it's just strange. So one of our questions this week comes from Erko from Millbrook, and Erko asks... Uh, about Tyshawn Runder's development and Durval uh, Kiro's Neto. And they are both players for the Miami Dolphins. And he asks if they have any realistic shot of making the roster or what's going to happen with both of those players. So real quick, I'll touch on this. This is something that J-Man definitely wanted to speak more about because uh, he knows a little bit more about these guys. But both of these guys are uh, part of the Miami Dolphins. Both of them are under contract really cheap through 2022. Uh, for those who don't know, Neto is a Brazilian judo champion, and he was signed to be brought back for um, another year. He's here, he's here uh, through two years. They have his rights. Um, he is a little bit older. I don't remember his exact age, but I want to say he's 29, about to turn 29, um, whereas... Render, on the other hand, is only 24 years old. He was an undrafted free agent and uh, also has no guaranteed money. He's really cheap. Um, he's a linebacker for the Dolphins. I mean, both of these guys have realistic shots to stick around. Now, whether it's on the active 53, whether it's 
a practice squad situation. I know that Neto has a uh, exemption where because he's an international player, uh, he can kind of take up a practice squad person and it doesn't count against the normal cap of practice squad. So um, those guys have a shot, but it's it's so early to know really with what Miami's going to do in the draft, who they're going to bring in during camp and stuff like that. But they they, they both have a shot. Uh, J-Man can talk more about their body of work, um, you know, in college and, and different things like that, especially with uh, Tyshawn. But, um, you know, I, th- I think they have a chance. It's it's just kind of a, a wait and see and, and see how the roster shapes up going into camp. Um Speaking of some other things that happened on Twitter this week, which remember, always go follow us on Twitter at Regulators Pod. Got some great things going on there, giveaways, all kinds of stuff. But uh, the Ravens Twitter account went MIA for a few hours the other day. You would go to the account and it was just a spinning wheel and there was nothing there. And I swear to God, I was just waiting for at Ravens 2 to say, hey, clapped at 1.6 million retweet for mutuals. Um, it was the funniest thing, and everyone was asking why they got suspended and what the situation was. Supposedly, it was just a technical glitch, um, but they're back online now, so Ravens fans, rest assured, the Ravens Twitter account did not get suspended. You're, you're good to go. You can check that out. But um, let's talk about some big news that you know finally happened. We knew it was going to happen. It was pretty much a foregone conclusion, but the 17-game schedule is here. So... For the first time in NFL history, there's going to be a 17-game schedule, which means there's no more 8-8. Eight and eight. So cheers to that. Nobody's ever going to go 8-8. Eight and eight. And I said on Twitter earlier today, I was like, thank God, you know, it's going to be a winning season or a losing season. No one's going to go 8-8. Eight and eight. And someone said, what if they go 8-8 eight and eight and 1? And I'm like, son of a bitch. You know, that that would just be the, the epitome, the irony of that. Um... And, I mean, there's less than a 1% chance of that happening. I think there's only about 1.5% of games even end up as a tie. I don't even think it's that high. And then for it to be a tie on a team that was exactly 8-8, eight and eight, like the odds are really, really against that. But I'm sure it's going to happen sooner or later. So well done, Twitter, for calling me out on that. Yes, it is possible. But in general... You're not going to see a lot of these, you know, eight and eight seasons anymore. You're going to see either eight and nine, or you're going to see nine and eight. Not that it's that much better than eight and eight, but you know, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, this changes a lot of the dynamics when people are talking about, well, what about the record books? What about, you know, what we consider a ten-win season as, as being good and and things like that? You know, listen, it's it's going to be an adjustment for sure. And listen, I understand that there are arguments on both sides of should the NFL have gone to 17 or 18 games or should they stayed or whatever. And uh, I'm not here to disrespect anybody's opinions on either. I'm telling you my opinion as a very selfish fan. And I truly believe in self-awareness. I think it's key in life. And I am telling you completely as a biased fan who just wants more fucking football Yes, give me 17, 18, 19 games. I'll take it all because I have, you know, my friends who are, are much more obsessed with other sports and the almost 200 games they get out of baseball or the 80-something they get out of basketball or hockey or uh, all the different sports with other 
things. So to have 16 games like in an entire season just seems, you know, really, really short. And I get it. Listen, it's a violent sport. Players are concerned about their health, etc., etc. And that's that's the real argument, right? The real argument is that you're asking players to put their bodies on the line for uh, more, which could shorten their careers, etc., etc., etc. But don't come at me with these bullshit arguments of, oh, you know, the the owners are trying to, you know, get extra work out of the players, but, you know, pay them the same. Nope, absolutely not. Because, first of all, if you're not aware, there's a revenue-sharing system with the owners and the players. So half of the revenue goes to the players' salaries. And, as we have talked about on this show... As those TV deals are about to come through, the salary cap is going to skyrocket. And those players are going to get paid more money overall. So extra games means extra money, which means extra money for the players. So the the whole money argument is bullshit. Yes, are the owners driven by money? Of course, they're running a business and they're trying to get as much money as possible. But the real arguments for... Uh, the NFL not going to an extra game or two is is really about player safety, and I respect that, and I understand that, and I'm, I'm not going to argue anyone with that because it's a valid point. Again, me, as a selfish football fan, as much football as I can get, um, so I'll take it. So I'm happy that we got the extra game. Would have liked 18, but I get it. I do not understand why they are still doing three preseason games. I think that... You know, that's going to be their bargaining chip for when they're trying to go to 18 games in another 10 years or something like that. But I I don't really understand the point. I don't think that you need three preseason games. You barely need two. And most coaches have said that they get way more, way more out of the the co-scrimmages and the things like that that they set up with other teams. A lot of times there'll be a preseason game. And that team will come in town a few days early and they'll run joint practices and things like that. And that those are much more beneficial uh, to those teams than, you know, a preseason game, which is pretty much a waste of time on everybody's sake. Speaking of which, if you guys are not aware of how the new schedule is going to lay out, I've had a lot of people ask me this question of, well, with 17 games, how does that work? Because usually you have eight home games and eight away games. Well... Obviously, half the league is going to get an extra home game. And while your immediate reaction is to go, well, wait a second, that's not fair. What if, you know, another team in my division has an extra home game? How is that fair to me? Well, what they've done is they've separated it by conference. So, for example, this year, the AFC will be hosting the extra home game. So while, yes, they will have an advantage over an NFC team, the only time they're going to see that team again in the playoffs would be in the Super Bowl. So it really doesn't come into effect so much with the home field advantage because everybody in your conference is going to have the exact same amount of home games versus road games. Um, So that means if you are a season ticket holder for a AFC team, your season ticket prices just went up a little bit. So you might want to check your emails. Uh, Things will be coming in. So with that out of the way, wanted to talk about some different things that I see with some of these teams and uh, where they might potentially look to improve in the offseason. I uh, was doing some deep dives on some stats and found some interesting information. 
So here are the teams with the smallest cap percentage in 2021 dedicated to their offense. So the teams whose cap hits for the entire team have the smallest percentage going to the offensive side of the ball. So the Baltimore Ravens, 27.8% of their cap is dedicated to offense. Detroit Lions at 30.1% and the Kansas City Chiefs at 36%. Think about that. The Kansas City Chiefs, who have one of the most prolific offenses, are only paying 36% of their cap this year to the offensive side of the ball, the third fewest in the NFL. I'm telling you guys, it's chestnut checkers. You think that the games are being won on the field on Sunday with the players and the coaches, and don't get me wrong, they all deserve their credit, but some of these championships, some of these seasons are won and lost in the front office with the people managing the cap and everything else because that allowed them to go get other pieces and to put things together. And there are some people who do it like Picasso. I mean, they just they make these masterpieces. And there are other people who just can't seem to grasp it and their front offices don't seem to have the right people in the building. Um, so that was offense. And then on defense, can tell you the same thing. The teams who are spending the least amount of cap dollars percentage-wise and overall uh, are the Carolina Panthers, the Titans, the Browns, and the Seahawks on defense this this year coming up in 2021. So obviously, you know, some, some possible... You could look at it as an opportunity where... You know, you have to go team by team, obviously. We know that the Titans couldn't get any pass rush last year. They couldn't, uh, their defense wasn't there to match their offense. Otherwise, they would have gone much further than they did last year. Um, the Browns weren't great. The Seahawks weren't great. You know, the Panthers. So, unlike the Kansas City statistic, most of these teams who aren't spending big money on defense, it's for good reason. Um, so maybe they should find a way to spend some money on that defense. And another interesting one with the Titans, the Titans are only currently spending 3% of their cap on their wide receiver room. And obviously Tannehill lost a lot of weapons. So he's been rated by PFF as the number one quarterback over the last two years, but he just lost Jonu Smith, Corey Davis. And I have to think that the Titans have to have plans in the draft. I mean, Anthony Ferkser, you know, is 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 good, but he, he's no Jonu Smith, and I don't think that, um, you know, the Titans can expect to go into this season without a major upgrade with the pass catchers that they have there. Now, this brings me to my favorite part of the show, which is talking about the quarterbacks making over 13% of the cap. If you know me, if you know my stance and you know where I am with paying your quarterback, which you absolutely should, um, you know, paying the quarterback over 13% of the cap in any given year is a big no-no. No quarterback has ever hoisted the Lombardi Trophy while making more than 13% of that team's salary cap that year. It's never happened. It's never happened. And it will be very rare if it ever happens. And if it does, it'll be a misnomer. It'll be a one percenter type of thing. But it's, it's not good. It's a, not a good situation. So let's look at the quarterbacks who this year, and if you want the breakdown, 
go over to regulatorspod.com, go to the articles, and you'll find uh, my whole thing on the 13% rule and breaking it all, all down, why it doesn't work, and et cetera, et cetera. But having said that, um, here are the quarterbacks that are due to make over 13% of the cap right now for 2021. Aaron Rodgers at 19.98%. He's making almost a fifth of the team's salary cap this year. Then you've got Russell Wilson at 17.4, who was also above that line last year. And, you know, that's obviously not great for the Seahawks, who need to improve in a lot of areas, especially defense. Kirk Cousins at 16.5%. The aforementioned Ryan Tannehill at 15.4%. And Matt Ryan, even after that giant restructure, is still going to have a cap hit of 14.5% this year. Now... He's supposed to make another 40-something million next year, um, but they can't get rid of him because right now they'd have 60-something million in dead cap, and we'll come back to the Falcons a little bit later in the show, but those are the guys. Those are the guys that you want to watch. You want to see the teams, what their moves are, what their plans are, because right now those teams are hamstrung. doesn't mean things are impossible. I mean, you always have the puncher's chance. That is the NFL, and it has a better sense of um, competitive balance and things than a lot of leagues, especially um, ones that don't have a salary cap. But it definitely makes it more of an uphill climb. You're, You're making your journey harder than it has to be. And, you know, I hear you. I hear people saying, but yeah, Aaron Rodgers is so good. Russell Wilson is so good. Okay, so is Brady. So was Breeze. You know, so was Manning. So were any of these guys that have been doing this for years and years and years, and they always know that number. And they hug very close to it, but they never go over it. They know that it helps them pick up those extra pieces that will help you get the job done. So I won't keep droning on about that. You can read more about it on regulatorspod.com, but those are the teams to watch this year. Now, Here's some teams to watch this year if you want to put some action down on a long shot for the Super Bowl. So currently, the Cincinnati Bengals, the New York Jets, and the Jacksonville Jaguars are all plus 10,000. So if you put down $100, it's a $10,000 comeback to you if they win the Super Bowl. So if you're one of those persons who likes a uh, long shot, if you're just a degenerate gambler like me, throw $10 down, you know, it's... $10 for a thousand bucks. You know, what do you got to lose outside of $10? Anyways, let's move on. Uh, Speaking of the Jets, you know, what are they going to do at number two? It's really interesting situation because I think it was Schefter who pointed out that no team since the merger has taken two top three quarterbacks within a four-year period. So this would be the Jets actively saying, listen, we fucked up. Sam Darnold wasn't the guy, but we got to take this top three quarterback here. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the first step in fixing a problem is admitting there's a problem. Sam Darnold probably wasn't the answer and probably wasn't worth that pick. But we do not know just yet what they're going to do. Odds are leaning towards a quarterback, but which quarterback? Probably Zach Wilson. Don't know for sure. But we'll get into all of that when we get closer to the draft with all of our mocks and different things like that. But speaking of the draft, you know, I would like to play some insights that I have here from the J-Man. 
I uh, I was in the car the other day, and I don't know what I hit. I was listening to a completely different podcast. I hit a button. Next thing I know, I was listening to episode five of our podcast, and it was over a year ago. And one of the first ones I had J-Man on, and just listening to his voice and hearing him break down the draft was just absolutely beautiful. It was just really, really well done. So here's just a couple of my favorite nuggets from last year's mock draft uh, with Justin Snyder before we headed into the 2020 draft. Without further ado, let's, let's just kind of get into your mock. So obviously, to skip the suspense, your number one pick yeah, Joe Burrow for sure is uh, is number one. And then number two is kind of not a surprise either. Yeah, number two is for sure Chase Young. Then number three, I have uh, uh, Jeffrey Okuda going to uh, the Lions with them losing Darius Slay and that pass defense, you know, being, to put it politely, awful last year. Uh, you know, Jeffrey Okuda's the pick. And I think those top three, you can. You could lock in and say it's a done deal. I think the draft really starts at pick four. At the fifth pick, uh, you know, I had the Dolphins taking Tua. You know, uh, injuries aside, he is the best quarterback in the draft. Uh, sixth pick, I, I have the Chargers taking Justin Herbert. Number seven, Derek Brown uh, to Carolina. The Browns are at 10. I had them taking Jedrick Wills. Jedrick Wills. Uh, offensive lineman uh, mm-hmm. from Alabama. So then you have the the Buccaneers, uh, I believe. I mean, it's simply about protecting Brady. Um, you know, three wide receivers are gone. Not that they would take one anyway. This is the best tackle left on the board. No, but I do do I do see uh, C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, and Henry Ruggs as the top three, and not far behind them at all. I have uh, Justin Jefferson. I mean, the kid had a spectacular year at LSU. Um, what do you have? 111 receptions for 1,540 yards and 18 touchdowns. And, uh, the Jaguars. Yep, Jaguars 20. at 20. Caleb on chase on. Okay, and then we've got the Titans. I have them taking uh, Christian Fulton, the cornerback from uh, LSU. So I have uh, the Packers taking uh, Jordan Love. And I just went back to their Aaron Rodgers draft where you know the Packers were in no position to take a quarterback. It's true. They were in no true. position to take a quarterback. Or at least they well. And you know, they sat there and Aaron Rodgers fell to him and they said, "You know what? You know, we may not have an immediate need at quarterback, but you know, let's let's BPA. go." True absolutely. BPA. Absolutely. So obviously, as you can see last year, J-Man was dropping bangers. He also had multiple players that were within one pick of where they were supposed to be, or he had the team selecting the exact position on the football field that he selected. Um, however, he had transposed, you know, where that tackle would go or et cetera. But I am really, really excited for our draft that's coming up. We're going to have tons of giveaways. We're going to do a live podcast. We'll be on Twitter spaces. It's going to get really crazy. Um, so make sure you uh, have our notifications turned on. Make sure that you are following us leading up to the draft for all of that information. Still got lots of show to go through, so don't go anywhere just yet. Um, which, uh, speaking of J-Man, again, you know, his wide receiver write-up just dropped, so make sure you check that out on regulatorspod.com. Um, but let's let's get back to uh, the tight ends You know, uh, we talked earlier about 12 personnel, 22 personnel, and things like that. Um, 
the Pats are going to go into their bag this year because I, I was wondering, like many people, what was going on with Josh McDaniels last year because I thought with a quarterback like Cam Newton, he was going to absolutely flourish and things were going to you know get nuts. But surprisingly, nothing really kind of came to fruition out of that offense. And they did bring Cam back this year. And we don't know what their ultimate plans are for the future going forward. Um, but Bill's getting a little long in the tooth. He's no spring chicken, so I'm not sure how much patience he has to completely start over. But I will tell you that last year, the Patriots were only in 12 personnel, uh, 2% of their snaps, which was the fewest in the league. So remember, again, that 12 personnel is uh, one running back, two tight ends. So fewer than anybody else in the league. And then what did they go and do? They went and got two of the highest paid, now highest paid, and two of the best uh, tight ends out there in the game. And so now with Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith, you have to believe that there's going to be a lot of 12 and 22 personnel coming straight at you. Um, so I'm excited to see what that Pats offense is going to look like this year going forward. But while I have you here, let's continue around the AFC East because we already talked about the Dolphins at depth and, you know, I obviously just mentioned the Patriots, but I try to get around to every team in every episode as best I can, so bear with me. Um, but let's talk about the Buffalo Bills. You know, I think Emmanuel Sanders to the Buffalo Bills is just an extra weapon for Josh Allen, who's obviously shown that, you know, the patience was a reward and we talked earlier about giving up on quarterbacks so quickly you know Josh Allen is the epitome of that I mean he played lights out last year and people were talking about him as an MVP candidate yet the first two seasons he couldn't hit the barn side of abroad like and I think that that patience by the Buffalo Bills has paid off and they are a force to be reckoned with in not only their own division, uh, but in the AFC and the NFL as a whole. So Emmanuel Sanders adds something to that offense. Obviously, the re-signing of Matt Milano, I think, was important. They've definitely set themselves up for success this year moving forward. Um, and let's talk about the New York Jets. The New York Jets fans, listen... You're going to have to need to be patient, and that shouldn't be new for you. You haven't won a Super Bowl since the 1968 season, so you've been waiting for a while. So a couple more years to get your shit together isn't the end of the world. I get it. It really sucks. Nobody wants to hear the wor words rebuilding. Um, personally, I think Fireman Ed is like bad juju, and you guys need to oust him somehow. Um but I'm not advising harm against Fireman Ed for legal reasons. I want to make sure I'm very clear about that. Um, I just think he should retire and stay at home. But having said that, um, Robert Sala, you know, is going to coach this team well. I think the Jets really hit it out the park with that hiring, and I'm excited to see what they do. And the Jets also have a lot of draft capital. They have multiple ones over the next couple of drafts. They have the ability to move up and maneuver through the draft. Plus, they have the number two overall pick this year. So the Jets, if they don't really fuck this up, which I get it, it's a, it's, it's a possibility. Um, but I think, you know, maybe, you know, when Adam Gase left the building, they brought in some sage and they cleansed the aura of the stadium. I don't know. Um, but I think you're on the right track. I think, you know, just be patient, Jets fans. 
It's not going to be this season, but maybe you get the quarterback. Maybe you hit a few splash draft picks and and you start heading in the right direction. And what you really want to see is how the team responds to Coach Robert Sala and, um, you know, how the season shakes out from that standpoint. You want to see disciplined football. You want to see them fight. And you want to see them, you know, playing competitive, meaningful football. So you're in a rebuild, but don't worry. Things will get better. Let's move over to the AFC North. Um, listen, we've said it before. I have to believe that if Sewell or Slater is not the pick from Cincinnati, then they're going to burn that city to the ground. I mean, what the fuck are you doing? People keep talking about Jamar Chase, you know, be reunited with uh, Joe Burrow. Cool. They can go play checkers together. What the fuck does that mean? Is he going to block for Joe Burrow and his busted ankle ass? And like, like it was malpractice what happened last year. I'm sick of talking about it. Get yourself an offensive line, Cincinnati, then we can talk. Um, you know, Cincinnati ran more three wide receiver sets last year than anybody else, which means, again, they're not running heavy personnel. They're not trying to run the ball down your throat, and they're not trying to do anything creatively to help Joe Burrow, which means he's going to be sitting back there when healthy, ready to get clobbered again. You need to address the offensive line, and you need to do it now, and you're going to have a chance because the top three picks are going to be quarterbacks, because the board is going to fall a certain way. If Sewell lands in your lap, if Slater lands in your lap, and you don't take these guys, then everybody in the building should be fired. And I'm not even sorry for that. But let's stay in the AFC North. Baltimore Ravens. They signed Sammy Watkins. Doesn't really move the needle for me. I think Sammy still has some stuff in the tank. I think he can help the team. Um, But, you know, the Ravens were no slouch last year. They were second in points allowed. Their defense was great. They were number seven in points forced. It just didn't shake out for them in the playoffs. And they have to find a way to be able to force the issue more on offense. Um, You know, again, they had a top eight offense you know it's not like they were bad but a lot of games the defense played really well in the beginning they got out to a lead they held the lead we need to see that Lamar Jackson can you know come back from down 17 and I think he can I'm not I'm not concerned that he can't um but you have to spread the offense out a little bit more I get it I know running's your thing I know you broke the record for you know consistent yards in a season rushing, yards in back-to-back seasons, I I, I get it. But when you're down by 10-plus points, that doesn't really lend well to what you're trying to do. So let's move on to Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh has to go out and find a quarterback this year. Doesn't mean I'm telling you they have to trade up into the top five or something like that. But they have to get a quarterback and try to take a shot. I think they're at like 24 in the draft is where they're currently slated to pick. Um, But they closed out the season with back-to-back losses to the Browns, who used to be the joke of the division. They are not a joke anymore. Nobody's laughing. So the Browns are for real. Pittsburgh, you're going to have to deal with them, as well as the Ravens and their smash-mouth football. And if Cincinnati and Joe Burrow get their shit together, it's going to be a tough, tough division to play football in. So I think Pittsburgh needs to start looking to the future. It's great that they were able to bring Ben back. It's great that you know they were able to keep Juju and keep some continuity in the offense. We know that there's going to be a new uh, OC situation there. But they have a chance to make a run. That's why Ben came back. They think they're close. They think that they can get this done. Um, 
a lot of talk last year about possibly a soft schedule, and then when they got to the playoffs or even towards the end of the season, things started to kind of fall apart and the wheels came off. I think they had three or four games in a row where they didn't even score 20 points after having multiple games of like 36, 38. Um, So they got to figure out what's going on there, but they need to start looking to the future now because we know whatever Ben has left in the tank, it's not a lot. And um, I believe in Mike Tomlin. I've always been a huge fan of his. I'm sure he'll he'll figure it out, and he's got eyes on, on what he wants to do in the future, but the future needs to start now. For Browns fans, you know, you need to get some defensive pieces in this draft. Um, the defense was okay, but it wasn't setting the world on fire. And May 3rd is the deadline for the fifth-year option on Baker Mayfield. I'm sure that they're going to pick that up. Why wouldn't they? I think they get him for like $18 million uh, going into the next season. But they need to extend him now. Don't wait. Don't wait till the new TV money comes in. Don't wait till players that are far inferior to Patrick Mahomes are signing Patrick Mahomes-esque deals or topping it. You will get taxed. If you believe Baker's the guy... Um, which I think he is, go and pay him now, find a deal that's fair, and, and make it work for both sides. Now let's move over to the AFC West. Kansas City is sitting pretty. I mean, you know, they were back in the Super Bowl again. Obviously, they didn't win it this year, but they continue to make smart cap moves. We talk about playing chess, not checkers, and these guys just, they get it. They really get it from every level of the organization they know what they're doing and they're going to make themselves competitive again this year and they're going to make a deep postseason run um the bolts staying in that same division you know there's a question mark with the new head coach brandon staley obviously he comes over from the rams and that whole mindset of what they were trying to do on defense he was their defensive coordinator uh herbert we know is solid but um, what they what are they going to do in the draft? How are they going to add pieces around not just Herbert, but especially that defense? And can they cleanse the juju of what happened surrounding Anthony Lynn and everything else like that? Um, if you didn't watch Chargers football for the past few years, count yourself lucky because for a team that had such amazing talent that could put up gaudy statistics at times, they just had not only the worst luck, I mean, they lost fewer games by one score than anybody else and fewer games by three points or less than anybody else. They were always in these close games and always found a way to lose. And while a lot of it was sometimes literally just the bounce of the ball and which way something happened, some of it started to trend into bad coaching decisions, poor clock management, uh, things of that nature, and obviously that is part of the things that led to Anthony Lynn's ultimate dismissal, which I like Anthony Lynn a lot, but it was obviously time for a change. And um, Las Vegas staying again in that same division, you know, they really need to get their shit together. Fundamentals were absolutely horrible last year. Uh, Missed tackles were off the charts. And listen, don't come at me, Raiders fans, like I'm not speaking truth. Because I love football more than anybody else, and I love talking about this stuff, but I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I love John Gruden. Chucky is the man, and I would love to see the Raiders be relevant again. I'm a big believer in Derek Carr. I'm a big believer in Josh Jacobs. And, you know, while I wasn't sure what they were doing with that offensive line, whole reconstruction this offseason, 
You know, I still want to see the Raiders be relevant because the NFL is better when Raider Nation is better. And so I'm just dropping the facts as I see them. So Las Vegas has their work cut out for them. Um, They also have a very crowded backfield back there with the running backs. I don't understand why they added so much. I think Josh Jacobs should be your bell cow. I don't know if somebody's potentially on the move. I hope it's not Josh Jacobs on that rookie contract. I'm sure another team would love to snatch him up, would offer some draft picks for him. Um, But defense is really where they need to hit it hard. They were the third worst team in points allowed last year, and the fundamentals were horrible. So hopefully they can shore up that defense and uh, find a way to be competitive this year, especially in that division. Um, the Broncos, Broncos are really the wild card, and they're also the wild card in the draft this year because do they believe in Drew Locke? I don't know. I don't have that answer, so I'm not going to pretend that I do. I'm not going to pretend that league sources or some guy I said hi to who once walked through their locker room is telling me where the mindset is of the GM and what he's going to do in the draft, but I know that the jury is out. I know that... We are not convinced that Drew Locke is the answer, and I'm not sure if people inside the building are. So they are somebody to watch during the draft to see if they move up uh, possibly to Miami's spot or somewhere else to go ahead and nab themselves a quarterback in this year's draft. But sticking with the AFC, let's talk about the Jags, who do have that number one overall pick. They have tons of options, but they also have tons of holes to fill. They still have $30 million in cap space that they could spend Um, There's not a bunch of huge free agents on the market as of right now, but we know that there will be cuts, especially post-draft. I think what's more likely is the Jags are going to roll a bunch of that money into next season. I mean, they could take, you know, 15, 16 million of that money and roll it into next season so that they have it to spend and go after free agents once what we assume to be is Trevor Lawrence uh, gets built into the system and Urban's got his situation set up and then they can really go after some free agents that'll help them win because we know that you know they're not winning the Super Bowl this year. Uh, if they are, it's a 10,000 to one shot and you should go make some money. But let's move on to the Colts because they also have $24 million to spend in cap space right now. It'll be interesting to see if they go out and spend it where they see the window at with Carson Wentz if he's their long-term solution. Um, but they can't take a step back. You know, the Colts were so good last year. The offense and the defense was clicking on all cylinders, and that defense is is very cheap right now, and that's not going to always be the case. I think let Jonathan Thomas do his thing. I think he's ready to step into that full-time role as your bell cow back, and, um, you know, we'll see if Carson Wentz is up to the challenge that, you know, Phillip Rivers really kind of set the bar last year as a veteran quarterback and what they should expect out of the quarterback's quarterback position. Um, listen, with the Houston Texans, everything's up in the air. Deshaun Watson, I have no idea what's going to happen there. I have so many thoughts, but again, we've told you guys before, I am not going to go all TMZ in this motherfucker. Yes, I read the news the same as you do. Yes, I see what's out there. But until that's a done deal, I won't be commenting on that kind of stuff. Um, When it comes to football situations, if he gets traded, moved, if something happens, and of course we're going to talk about it. But until then, you know, I'm going to keep it 100 and keep moving. So that's something, obviously, we're all going to be watching on pins and needles to see what happens with the Houston Texans. Um, Let's flip over to the NFC. 
So the Dallas Cowboys are going to have a healthy quarterback this year, and they're going to be slinging Dak all over the place. I think that you know it really doesn't matter in a sense because Dak was on pace for 6,000 yards last year, but the defense was god-awful, and I don't think they would have won that many more games with a healthy Dak. Uh, Mike Nolan is obviously gone, and they're going to take a new approach there on defense, but they've got to address that defense because now you've got your franchise quarterback. Hopefully he's healthy. I believe in Dak Prescott. I think he is the guy to get the job done, but you have to have all the pieces around him. People people don't understand. They, they underestimate you know, just how important the entire team concept is. You can have Aaron Rodgers. You can have Drew Brees. You can have those guys, but a lot of times they still end up going home in January. They still don't make it. They still don't get the Super Bowl win. There's, there's so many other things that go into it. But let's move over and talk about the Giants. Um, how much confidence they have in Daniel Jones? I don't know. It's almost like another Drew Locke situation. You know, do uh, does Joe Judge does that does that crew really believe that he is the guy, or are they going to start looking to the future or looking to make a move? Um, you know, I think that the defense showed flashes last year. There was a lot of fight out of the defense. They were really good at getting and creating turnovers, um, but they were the second-worst offense. They were completely inept at scoring points, and uh, it was just a really, really ugly scene for the New York Giants last year. Um, you know, I think that... I don't know what the the answer is. Obviously, we know Saquon got hurt, and we know that you know the offense was really ugly. But in the NFL, if if you can't score, then you're going to have a problem. And I mean, last year the Giants couldn't score on a Miami thought, you know, with a Lambo and a pocket full of blow. It just wasn't going to happen. Um, so they really need to figure out what they're doing on offense. And I think Joe Judge will get the rest of the pieces in line. Um, but they need they need a lot of help on offense for sure. Sticking in the NFC East, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick to Curtis Samuel is going to be a thing. Fantasy-wise, I think that's going to be a thing. The Washington football team has a lot of young talent. They are loaded at young talent um, from Logan to Gibson to Scary Terry McLaurin. Um, they have, like I think, the second-best passing defense from last year. They've got like 27 former first-rounders on that defensive line. Um, Taylor Heineke, they extended for two years, so there may be a possibility that they think Ryan Tannehill can bridge him and he can come into the fold. If not, they'll have to look elsewhere. But I think Washington football is going to be really, really exciting this year. I will tell you that. Um, and we'll see how it plays out. I don't know. It's going to be fun to watch for sure. And then with Seattle... You know, with Russell Wilson, we talked about his cap hit. They really need to start reworking some of their cap. Um, they cannot let Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf become the next Matthew Stafford and Megatron. Like, that's that's something that was horrible to watch, to see two people in their prime, talented, and just the team as a whole couldn't get shit done. And speaking of Matthew Stafford... Um, staying in that division, the L.A. Rams. You know, they got Stafford now. I think that's going to be a big upgrade over Jared Goff. With all due respect to Jared Goff, I just think Matthew Stafford is on a different level. I think he's been buried and hidden in Detroit where people outside of Detroit don't really watch Detroit football unless it's a Thanksgiving game. Um, 
and I think Stafford is is really gonna if they you know last year it was let Russ cook and all that stuff let Stafford sling like I think if they let Stafford go to work I think Rams football is gonna be really really amazing this year um, Arizona you know their season fell apart last year and it was definitely a huge disappointment for everybody there I think that the question is can Chase Edmonds become you know the the lead bell cow can he carry that load i think he can and i think with Kenyon drake out of the picture now that's something that they can explore so fantasy alert pay attention to that uh, i think he's an excellent excellent pickup because regardless um the only issue you really have is kyler murray stealing rushing carries but overall especially down by the goal line overall uh, Arizona is going to pound the football, so I think Chase Edmonds is definitely somebody to watch in your fantasy drafts. I think that their rushing defense must improve. It has to get better. Um, you know, their number one need this year is to improve, especially in that division with um, some of the the uh, the teams that they that they're going against. Um, Green Bay. You know, Green Bay's tough, man. Don't mess with the offense, obviously, too much. They got Aaron Jones back, and we know what Rodgers can do. Obviously, they fell short last year. But again, this is another team that the re- the run defense has to improve. I think that, you know, I, I love what Zadarius Smith did last year. They were able to get off after the passer, and I think they need to keep bringing that heat. But overall, that run defense needs to get better. In Minnesota... They have to keep adding pieces to that secondary. We talked about how in 2020 they lost that amazing defense, which was one of the best defense in the league, especially with most of that secondary. Most of those guys left the team, and they were like, no, we're not going to replace them. We think we're fine. You thought wrong. You fucked up. Now fix it. So Minnesota's added Xavier Woods, uh, Mackenzie Alexander, Patrick Peterson. That's great. I love it. Keep doing it. Keep adding to that secondary and get that to where they're afraid to pass the ball into that secondary because the Vikings had one of the most efficient offenses last year. Kirk Cousins is, I think, the third most accurate passer in NFL history. You've got Dalvin Cook. Like You can make this work. You can go. Like People forget that the Vikings were one game away from the Super Bowl You know, only a few years ago, and I think that the Vikings can get this done but you need to, you absolutely need to make sure that that secondary is improved and you need to make sure that you can hang on defense. Speaking of defense that isn't what it used to be, uh, let's talk about the Chicago Bears. You know, their defense, I think, was 14th uh, in points allowed last year, 25th in creating turnovers. And, I mean, shit, guys. Andy Dalton, really? Nothing against the Red Rocket. Like, I, I, I obviously wish him well, but I really, truly believe the Bears are trolling us. The Bears know what fans experienced when they moved up, got Mitch Trubisky, and then that obviously was a bad decision. Um, but everybody else passed on Patrick Mahomes, too, so it's it's not like they were the only one. But Bears have been waiting for their reparations. Bears fans have been waiting for them to right the ship and pay them back and say, all right, listen, we fucked up, but we're going to fix it. They thought that was coming in a Russell Wilson trade, which I'm not going to get into the speculations of what supposedly was offered and what was turned down. But 
it looks like the Bears tried really hard, and then now all of a sudden they're trying really hard to convince us that Andy Dalton is their QB1. I don't buy it. I'm calling bullshit. I think that if you go into this season with Andy Dalton as your quarterback, I mean, he could catch fire and the defense could play amazing, but I, I, I'm, not, I'm not putting my money on it. Um, I think they got to go get a quarterback, man. I don't know whether it's... Whether it's through the draft, whether it's them trading for Russell Wilson, I don't know. All options are in the table, but they just they have to fix this. They they have to go get a quarterback, and it's not Andy Dalton. We know it's not Andy Dalton, so they need to figure that one out uh, for the sake of Bears fans. Uh, speaking of fans who've been waiting a long time for retribution, the Detroit Lions... You know, Goff is going to need a lot of things around him to be successful, I don't think that he's a POS by any means. Um, I would take him over Andy Dalton. I would tell you that. But the Lions are in a bit of a rebuild. And, um, you know, the good thing is that you got the ammo. They were able to get a couple of ones and a three uh, in the Matt Stafford trade. And what I like most about that is the ones that the Lions picked up are for 2022 and 2023. So they didn't need to feel the pressure this year of trying to trade both of those picks to trade up or to try to make something happen. They can let the Jared Goff experiment kind of play out this year, see what they have in him, and then make that decision going into next offseason. So that'll be something great that uh, uh, Dan Campbell and his staff will have going into next season is knowing they have an arsenal of picks to try to go and make some moves and try to improve that franchise. Now let's round it out with the NFC South. Tampa Bay Buccaneers are looking like they are ready to repeat. They're bringing back all of their fucking starters. They have the fourth easiest schedule based on last year's uh, 2020 record at the end of the season. And there's no such thing as a cakewalk in the NFL, but they look primed to repeat. So, I mean, it, I, don't, I don't do that whole wins and losses and what team and power ranking bullshit, but if there was a gun to my head, I, I've got the Buccaneers probably facing the Chiefs again in a, in a rematch of the Super Bowl. Um, so the Bucks, you know, it's business as usual. Moving on to Atlanta, Matt Ryan, we talked about earlier with his restructures still making way over that uh, 13% number that you try not to cross. If he were to leave the team today, there'd be $65 million in dead money, so obviously that's not happening. But even next year, it'd be a $40 million hit in dead money. I don't know what they're going to do with him personally. I think that they should look to try to move him if someone wants to buy out a bunch of his salary. Um, but they're in kind of a tricky situation. I think the perfect situation for them, the perfect scenario, is an Alex Smith type of situation where they get a young quarterback that can sit and learn behind Matt Ryan for a year, year and a half, um, and then you make that transition and you go ahead and switch because I think that obviously Matt Ryan has been very accomplished. Matt, listen, make no mistake, and I'm going to get people on Twitter that you know are not going to be happy about me saying this, but make no mistake, Matt Ryan will be in the Hall of Fame. Is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? Hell no. Is he second Third, mm, probably not. But is he going to ultimately end up there the same way that we now are voting in guys from the 70s or the 80s or etc.? Matt Ryan will be in the Hall of Fame. 
So he has a lot of wisdom and knowledge that he can impart to a youngster, and now is the time to do it while he's still got a little bit left uh, in the in the arm. So I think that would be the perfect situation if you're Atlanta. That's what you're hoping for. Other than that, you're looking very soon at a complete dismantling of that team, and people are going to go different ways, and you're going to be in a complete rebuild if you're not careful. Speaking of rebuilds, New Orleans. You know, obviously... The Drew Brees era has ended, you know, the sun has set on that chapter, and now you're looking towards Taysom and possibly Jameis to lead you into the next generation of Saints football. Now, I predict the Saints to make at least another 30 moves between now and kickoff on September 9th. It's it's not over yet, and it's not even close to over. They're going to be making a lot of moves up to the draft, during the draft, after the draft, so... It's going to be hard to really take a a full scope look at this team until it gets really close to September to see what they finally look like. Um, But until Taysom Hill or Jameis all of a sudden become elite overnight or they get someone new and someone better, I don't think the Saints are going anywhere fast. It's not hate. It's not shade. I love Sean Payton. love the Saints organization, but... You know, it's going to be an uphill climb. If you couldn't get it done with Breeze, what makes you think that you're going to get it done with Jameis Winston at the helm? I just don't see it right now. So, got a lot of moves to make, but, you know, we'll see how the draft plays out and where they end up. Now, the Carolina Panthers, I still believe in Teddy Bridgewater. We talk about it all the time. Everyone's watching them in the draft to see what they were what they're going to do, and we talked about it last episode. We'll know a lot about how they feel about Teddy Bridgewater based on what they do in this draft because they are positioned to do pretty much whatever they want. They can move up a little bit, try to go after a quarterback. They can stay, go after a quarterback. They can trade back and not take a quarterback. Um, So we're going to find out, but I believe in Bridgewater, and you get a healthy CMC back. I really want to see what the Panthers can do full force, and especially with... uh, you know, everybody now kind of in the second year of the system, I think uh, I want to see what Matt Rule is going to do and, and how they'll shape up. Um, I think that'll be fun to watch. But having said that, I think I touched on every single NFL team. If I left your team out, then hit us up on Twitter at Regulators Pod. But I don't think I did. I think I got around to everybody, and that's really my goal. I uh, I never want to be that show that just talks about the same five, six teams every single episode because if you wanted that you could just turn on the four letter network or one of these other programs that does that but that's not what we're here for so i appreciate you joining us uh we're gonna have again obviously a huge show for the draft and i'm gonna be honest with you we are now seeking uh, a bunch of sponsors for our draft show and uh for as little as a hundred dollars if you have a brand if you have a company if you have something that you want to get out there then hit us up in the dms um and we'd love to work with you and and hear more about your brand and see if we can't get exposure because draft night is going to be lit we are going to have people all over the world listening to us we already have listeners in 23 countries and i I think we're gonna grow that on draft night for sure so 
reach out to us if you'd like to sponsor the show. And other than that, if you are looking to win some prizes, if you are looking for some giveaways, we are going to have tons of those during the draft. I'm probably going to do another one this week, uh, maybe a couple more, but I'm trying to save as much of it up as possible for the draft because I just want to go ham on draft night. I think it's going to be crazy, and you guys are the ones who support us, who make this show happen. So I just want to be able to give back in any way that I can. Um, Side note, small favor that you can do for us here at the Regulators Podcast. So in the United States currently, there are only five states left who are not currently listening to the Regulators Podcast. Those five states are Hawaii, North Dakota, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, and Mississippi. So if you know anyone in any of those states and those people like football, enjoy football in any way, shape, or form, just send them a link. Just send them this episode and say, hey, check these guys out. They're funny as fuck. They have some good insight, and maybe you'll like them. And, you know, even if you have friends who don't live in those states, please share our show. We appreciate it. That's how we grow. That's how we get our money, and then we're obviously able to pay that forward back to you guys. Our Patreon is now up. I've never wanted to do a Patreon. It just feels weird kind of asking for money who from people who aren't sponsors, um, but I promised if we ever broke 4,000 on Twitter that I would do it. So it's up now. If you guys want to check it out, feel free. I would also be very remiss if I didn't talk about the passing of Howard Schellenberger, um, legendary University of Miami coach, passed away at 87. He made the University of Miami the powerhouse that it became and uh, why they went on to win national championships and stuff like that. So obviously thoughts and prayers to his family and all of Kane's nation. Um, As far as we go, we are going to have uh, some more live Twitter spaces and all kinds of things. So make sure you turn on our notifications. You can find us at Regulators Pod on Twitter, and that way you will know whenever we go live. And when we do those, those are interactive. That means you can ask questions on the fly. You can get involved with any of the other hosts and the speakers that we have in the conversation. We love those. We look forward to uh, seeing you in the Twitter streets. Thank you, as always, you know, from the bottom of my heart. Be kind, but don't take no shit. Let's have a great week, guys. Peace. Regular!